How's it going, everybody? Aloha and welcome back to the Brick House for another edition of Bose Football Final here at KHON2.com and everywhere you download podcasts. I'm your host, Rob DeMello, and joining me, former University of Hawaii offensive lineman, Spectrum Sports Analyst, RJ Hollis. And RJ, that one was rough. The University of Hawaii opened their 2021 season this past Saturday with a 44-10 loss to UCLA, a game that, if we're being honest, Probably didn't even seem as close as the 34-point difference indicated as the Bruins dominated in every facet of this game, offense, defense, and special teams, delivering a sasa to the Bo's Muli to start the season. And so we got a lot to talk about, a lot to, to unravel here on what went wrong for the Rainbow Warriors in that first game of the 2021 season. But I want to just start off by giving you a chance to Give us your biggest takeaway. When, after, when that game struck zeros on the scoreboard, what was the sense that you walked away feeling about this University of Hawaii football team and that game specifically? Um, I mean, it definitely, like you said, wasn't the, the best performance. But this is a team that in UCLA would definitely be the best team that Hawaii will see all year. So kind of trying not to put too much pressure on a single game you had to step back and you know analyze the game fully for what it was worth more than anything I just seen a lack of energy and enthusiasm and and it seemed as if the team wasn't all on the same page and when I say the team I mean the whole team including the coaching staff down to the backups uh you know after you've seen some of those first offensive drives you know you kind of started to get the idea that the offense wasn't really as clean and as polished as it wanted to be. But at the same time, the defense who was given, you know, one of the worst starts you could give, and that's 15 yards to cover because of the mistake on a punt, they held the UCLA offense to only three points. So, you know, it wasn't like they were fully starting slow or that they weren't just clicking on all facets. It just seemed that the enthusiasm and the camaraderie wasn't at peak like it should have been to win at the Rose Bowl. I'm pretty sure not many people expected to go in here to win the game. But at the same time, you do want to put a performance forward that you can be proud of, win or loss. And I do not feel like UH put that proud game out there that they know they should have had. Absolutely. And the University of Hawaii, as you mentioned, playing against a Pac-12 team on the road, an iconic stadium like the Rose Bowl, you needed to bring a little bit more than what was provided by that UH football team in order to walk away with a win. This is now the 10th consecutive loss to a Pac-12 opponent on the road as UH drops to 32-63 and against current members of the Pac-12 conference all-time, now 8-24 and on the road all-time against Pac-12 teams. And again, you're going to have to read this stat one more time because on September 11th, the Rainbow Warriors will play at Oregon State. And of course, that comes after UH opens its home schedule against Portland State this upcoming weekend. But let's go over the offensive statistics for the Rainbow Warriors in this game 
a loss to UCLA where Shevin Cordero, the quarterback, goes 25 of 47, 220 yards passing, one touchdown and two interceptions. He was sacked twice in this game. The rushing attack, which we talked about last week, being probably the most important facet of this offense, the run and gun does not gun without the run, and they were not able to run the football where the University of Hawaii totals 26 yards rushing in the game. The leading rusher for this football team, Day-Day Hunter, seven carries, 20 yards. That's an average of 2.9 per carry. And you throw in there, he had a 16-yard run uh, to put him there. Uh, Dedrick Parson, three carries for 15 yards. Shevin Cordero, as we mentioned, sacked twice. A total of nine carries for 11 yards for him. And James Phillips had one carry for negative six yards, one blaring absent from the rushing category. Calvin Turner Jr., zero rushes on the day. He did have eight targets as a receiver, five catches for 50 yards, but definitely not what you would expect out of a team that would go to UCLA and attempt to pull off a huge upset to start the season when the biggest weapon that you have offensively in Calvin Turner Jr. only touches the ball Five times. So when you look at the offensive numbers, you look at how you got there with that 44 to 10 loss, at least in regards to the arithmetic of everything, what stands out most to you? What punches you in the face and says this offense needs to make changes? Uh, I mean, for me, it, it started almost as soon as the game started. Uh, Shevin was getting pressured by unblocked blitzers, unaccounted for blitzers. And I mean, Rob, you hit it on the head. Uh, 26 total rushing yards with Dede Hunter being your leading rusher and having a 16-yard carry. Uh, um, I mean, it's not as if you are expected to put up 100 yards on UCLA. It's not even as if you're expected to have a dominant rushing game. But the the line on, on the offense especially, this, this all essentially boils down on them. Now, saying this as a former O-lineman, I'm pretty sure even if the O-linemen heard this itself, they know that this boils down to them. Um, UCLA had seven TFLs, two sacks, and eight passes broken up. I mean, in the first three drives, it was almost as if the D-linemen were offside. So, you know, you got to be able to protect up front. It all starts up front. It all is up front. And when both the passing game and the running game is not something that's successful, you obviously got to start off with your line. But more than just the line, like I said earlier, it's the camaraderie. It's the flow. Offense is a planned attack. It's not defense where you read and react or you pick up on what the other team is doing. You have to go out there with the course of action that your 11 you know, to 15 rotational guys have to have in their head solidified to where they can see everything that's supposed to happen. And if something looks off, they should be able to call it off. If something's not getting together, there should be somebody that everybody could lean on to kind of get them going again. And it was just evident from the very first snap that this offense was not in that mojo. They were not in the mesh and the flow that they should have had. There were not only, you know, the TFLs, the sacks, but there were passes batted down. There were a lot of drop passes. And uh, even in the first three points that UH was able to muster in the first quarter, in that drive, two of their three first downs came from penalties that UCLA caught. So, the offense definitely seemed out of sync, and that is something that you cannot have. And I don't care how good your defense is, if your offense isn't producing or at least out on the field 
long enough to give the defense a spell, then you're not going to win many football games. And like we said, this is UCLA. This would be the best team that they face all year. We knew that they would have to go in there and play to perfection to make the game competitive. But this game was, as a lot of people know, below average for a lot of these offensive guys, whom we've seen before. You know, we got years of watching Chevin Cordero, Il Manning, Gene Pryor, Cole Laval, Jared Smart. These are guys that have been around. These are guys that have seen different offenses come in, and they know what needs to be done in order to have a successful offense. So I think the offense knows that it needs to just get itself together. They need to regroup, and they need to be in sync. When they come out this Saturday, all 11 of them need to be on the same page because it seems like not only did they not play up to par, they did not play on the same page this past Saturday. Now, one one term that that kept popping up on Saturday was comfort or comfortable. And, and that was one thing that when a lot of people referenced this offense by the University of Hawaii in this performance against UCLA, there seemed to be a question of why do they look so uncomfortable? Why are they not comfortable out there when uh, such a big fuss was made about this team finally having a full offseason, finally having uh an entire spring training camp finally having an entire fall camp and yet Chevin Cordero the quarterback did not look comfortable in that game now how much of it is how the game started how much of it is the fact that you know we saw it a couple of times where there were back-to-back drops and then the next pass gets overthrown and when that happens when when you put a ball on the money and it gets dropped And that happens over the course of a a couple of times consecutively, and then you overthrow it. I imagine that that has to put a lot of pressure on you. uh, uh, Just like, uh, like what what can go wrong, right? What more can go wrong? And so, when you saw Chevin Cordero out there, what what was it about the game that that made it look so uncomfortable? Was it just the way things were unfolding, or do you think that? no matter what, like this is a guy that's just not comfortable in this offense right now. Uh, it's it's a little bit of both. Uh, we've seen what Chevin can do. Um, he came out of St. Louis in the run and shoot offense, originally transferred over to UH with the run and shoot offense. So there was an offense he was more familiar with prior to the new head coach coming. But at the same time, this is a guy we know can make plays. We know can make things happen. We know has a big arm. Now, <clears throat> The thing about me is I, I always use reference to, to Uncle Mo when it comes to football, and, and that's Uncle Momentum. And he is a very, very fickle guy that one. And the thing about Momentum is you got to capture it whenever you get the chance to. And the hardest part about being on the road, and this isn't just with collegiate football. This is with football at all levels. The hardest thing about going into somebody else's stadium somebody else's field somebody else's state and being able to outperform them well you have to have the complete control of momentum you have to have the confidence to know hey no matter what happens no matter what they call I can see what I need to see I can do what I need to do and not only that my teammates are going to do what I need to do now as a starting quarterback to see three and four plays go consecutively where there's D lineman in your face where you're trying to get a check down and you got D lineman blocking or to have passes that are dropped. Well, that doesn't bode well at all for momentum. And then you add in the fact that you throw an interception to a D lineman after being harassed pretty much your entire first six or seven plays. 
Well, I don't know who who's going to be comfortable in that situation. I mean, I, I feel like if you put any quarterback in a situation that Shevin was in, nobody's going to be 100% comfortable in that. That being said, there was also plays that Shevin could have made that were not made. There was some overthrown checkdowns. There was a couple of times where it seemed like he held the ball a little too long. So at the end of the day, you can't throw all fault on one end or another. But the one thing I know from being a player is that if you're going to go on the road and you're going to win, especially at a game like UCLA, then you have to have momentum on your side, which is bred from confidence, which is bred from going over my game plan with my offensive coordinator, which is bred from having synchronization with my wide receivers and being assured that my offensive line will know who to block no matter what happens. And if they don't know, then I'll be able to point it out for them. I don't think any of these things occurred Saturday. I think that's why the term uncomfortable kept coming up. They looked uncomfortable. There were plays where it looked like nobody knew what to do. There were blitzes where you could tell none of the offensive linemen knew who to block, where, you know, the left tackle stepping down on the inside guy, but he needs to go to the outside guy the bubble routes that are hit for TFLs, all of these things are direct attacks for your momentum. So it, it would have been almost impossible for Shevin to stay comfortable. But at the end of the day, that comes with the game. And I believe this offense knows that next Saturday, they're definitely not going to be able to have a top tier quarterback if everybody's not on the same page and everybody's not bringing their agent. Well, certainly we'll talk a lot more about this offense as this podcast continues because we still have the Bose football final mailbox. And there were a few questions about the offense that I'm going to want to uh, get your thoughts on, RJ. But let's talk a little bit about the defense and what UCLA was able to do against this Rainbow Warrior defense that I think it's safe to say entered the season as the side of the ball that people were most excited about because of what you had coming back and the additions that were added to this team, especially on the defensive line. Uh, Darius Musau, linebacker, surprise, surprise, leads the team in tackling with 10 tackles in the game, continuing his what seems to be a routine of double-digit tackles here at the Division One level for the Mililani product. Arnold Azuna made his debut with seven tackles from that defensive back position. Corey Bethley had six tackles in the game uh, with, with a pass breakup as well. But then you look at UCLA where Zach Chabronet had the Hawaii faithful reaching for Chardonnay in the morning because of what he was able to do. <laughs> Six carries, 106 yards, three touchdowns, 18 yards per pop running the football. Britton Brown, 13 carries for 78 yards. Dorian Thompson Robinson, of course, three carries for 19 yards, the quarterback for the Bruins, but he would go 10 of 20 for 130 yards a touchdown and was sacked once. And I think if there is one bright spot from the defense, uh, I, I think it was what they were able to limit in regards uh, to what DTR was able to do against them. And, and obviously he didn't look the best out there throwing the football. And, you know, it, it, I guess you're going to have to wait to see as the season goes on. It was, was that Hawaii's doing, or was that him struggling to throw the football? But at the end of the day, the UCLA offense, for the most part, was able to do what they wanted to do, and that was run the football as they would put up 244 yards on the ground, something that is going to take a lot for the University of Hawaii to recover from in regards to uh, trying to limit your average running attack uh, for, for the, the season statistics. But uh, what jumped out to you, RJ, as far as defensively on what went wrong for this Hawaii football team? Um, 
the the biggest thing I think went wrong was everything after the first drive. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, there was the mishap on the punt, which gave UCLA the ball at its own 15-yard line, I believe. Not, it was definitely in the red zone. I do believe it was on the 15. And UCLA had to get a field goal out of that. Mm-hmm. They were given the ball with only 15 yards to get in the end zone, and UH's defense held so strong that they only got three points out of that. That was a strong start to what wouldn't have another drive like that for the rest of the game. So uh, I think it, it was a little harder to watch the defensive side, especially because, like you said, the quarterback was not playing that great. Um, now, whether that's attributed to the defensive play of UH or just him having an off game, only next week will tell. But 244 yards total rushing, over 100 yards in the first half, one running back pretty much doing all the damage and having a, a well-rounded rotation of running backs. It, it just seemed like as the game went on, it got more and more difficult for this defense to muster any sort of momentum, to muster any sort of uh, of enthusiasm or excitement. Once the game starts to get out of reach, it turns from, well, we need to make this stop to we're just maintaining time between now and the next time the offense gets the ball. So, you know, for the defense, I, I think the biggest thing would have to be the tackling. Schematically, they seemed like they were a lot more there than the offense was. Um, there wasn't a lot of big pass plays. There wasn't too many huge plays. There was the 47-yard run. Uh, Cortez Davis did give up the pretty big pass in the third quarter. But the defense didn't seem too out of touch schematically. However, back to the you know conversation about Uncle Mo. It just seemed like outside of Corey Bethley, outside of Darius Muasau, there wasn't outside of Jonah Laulu, uh, who had five tackles, two TFLs, and two sacks. That it didn't seem like there were many guys on defense playing with an intense amount of fire. Yes, I understand the game's getting out of hand. Yes, I understand going into the second quarter, it's already twenty-four to three. The offense isn't doing what they need to do, so that is understandable. But at the same time, this is a new day. It's a new era. It's a defensive-minded coach. And ever since last year, the new word around town is that the defense is the strength. So it's understandable to, to be out in a hot day where, you know, there's cramps all over the place. It's a heat advisory, triple-digit heat in L.A., and you got to face UCLA at the Rose Bowl. No uh, great task or no uh, task that, anybody's going to be enthusiastic about. But at the same time, the defense does have to step up. Uh, Cam Lockridge made some great plays. Muasal, Bethley, the same guys that usually make plays are great. But, you know, at a certain point, other people have to step up. At a certain point, you got to be able to rotate in. At a certain point, you got to be able to just bear down and, and dog it and hold it out as long as you can. 244 yards of total rushing. Uh, that that is just a defeated defense. So, you know, with the defense, they they definitely looked a lot more polished than the offense. But at the same time, they gave up so many plays that it kind of negated their good work. Um, you got to see what they're going to do next week. There's no reason to essentially throw in the towel or throw in the panic button. I don't believe they will face another running game this good until possibly Wyoming. So, you know. There, there's a lot to be learned from it. There's a lot that needs to be taken away from it. But at the end of the day, I do feel like the defense did have some small glimpses of, of being able to get back into at least what they were last year. So 
that being said, I think I think the defense has a little less to worry about with the offense, but at the same time, they still got to come out next Saturday and show that they could be the top-tier defense when they need to be. You know, it's interesting. One thing that you talked about right there was that schematically you seemed to believe that they knew what they were doing, one, two, that they were probably put in the right spot on a number of occasions but wasn't able to make the play. Tackling was definitely an issue. We saw that time and time again uh, pointed out in the broadcast of a player being one-on-one and just not being able to make the play or even in a gang tackle situation, um, everyone holding a player up as opposed to no one making the, you know, the committing to, okay, I'm going to be the guy to take him down while the rest of you hold them up. With that being said, does that make you pump the brakes on the defense being a huge concern or, you know, what would be the opposite of pumping the brakes? I, I guess it's stepping on the gas or, or pumping the keg maybe of uh, trying to drink your sorrows away uh, of tackling being the most fundamental number one uh, important issue in the game of defense when you're playing football to see tackling issues in week one. So, so which is it? Are you pumping the brakes or pumping the keg on this defense? Uh, I think I'm pumping the brakes a little bit. Now, when I say pumping the brakes, I don't mean that I'm going to, you know, expect less from them or say that missed tackles are ever acceptable, say that 244 yards of rushing is acceptable. Um, but at the same time, uh, in the entire game, let, let me let me just say this while I have the floor to say it. <laughs> yes, the game was not the prettiest game ever. We all know that. But there is no reason for the panic nor the reset button to be hit. Many commentators, many coaches, many people will tell you the biggest improvement that most football teams will make is from week one to week two. I think the biggest thing that a lot of people don't realize, especially when it comes to looking at this UH schedule, is that as it goes on, a lot of the teams become less talented. They become less of a worry than UCLA. You have the defending Mountain West champs early, and then you have Nevada, you have Fresno before the break, and then after that, it's pretty much just all conference games. So that being said, I'm not pumping the brakes on the defense to where, oh, what they did on Saturday was acceptable. But at the same time, this is a very talented UCLA running game that they will almost guaranteed not face but another one or two times this season in triple digit weather on the road so you know at the same time of me saying I am pumping the brakes I do still expect something out of this defense but you do have to put everything into context you do have to realize what's the offense doing um are they giving the defense breaks are they giving them rest you know things like that there were like you said a couple of gang tackles that I felt should have been made but um, a lot of players on the defense were essentially doing what they could with what they had as far as enthusiasm, as far as energy, as far as trying not to cramp up after being out on the field, you know, as much as they were on the field. So I'm not pumping the brakes to give them a pass, but I am pumping the brakes to have people realize this was a very, very good Pac-12 team that had to depend on their rushing game because their passing game couldn't get anywhere and they were successful in depending on said rushing game. So I do not believe that UH will be in another situation where they're down 24 to three in the first quarter 
I, I do not believe they will face another myriad of running backs like that. And I do not believe that Coach Graham will accept another tackle performance like that. And if I would have to guess, there's going to be a lot of emphasis on tackling this week. So, you know, I'm not pumping the brakes to let them pass, but I am saying, hey, let's just chill out. Let's just chill out. One road loss, one ugly road loss at UCLA is not the end of the world, especially when it is only your first game of a 13-game season. Yeah, and and I think it, along those lines, it should be noted and, and it should be something that's brought into the memories of Hawaii football fans is that this isn't the first rodeo that we've seen this before. Hawaii's been getting spanked on the road at Pac-12 opponents for quite some time now, as you mentioned, 10 in a row uh, for Hawaii. And that doesn't make it okay, obviously. Um, but with that being said, it, you should also remember that 2019 – one of the more successful Hawaii football teams in really the last 15 years, uh, a 10 win team that won a bowl game started early in the year with a horrible performance at Washington. One right. that a lot of people came back from thinking that, Oh, this is a season loss. This is how are they going to recover from that? They looked horrible and yet went on to have the season that they did. And their head coach was able to uh, hit the, the mega bucks and go to Washington state um, so it, you know, that's something that, that should be remembered with that being said, let's close it out on this game before we get to the mailbox, uh, by asking you about special teams, obviously you had the, the, the big blaring error or the big blaring note from this game of getting a punt block at the university of Hawaii for the first time since 2008. The last yeah. time that happened was the Notre Dame Hawaii bowl game. Uh, but and that ends a string of 154 consecutive games. I mean, a handful of special teams coordinators and head coaches that that was able to keep that run alive. Um, but it ends uh, at UCLA as, as the Bruins were able to to block a punt and and, and able to uh, get a touchdown out of it as well. Matthew Shipley hit a 48-yard field goal, which is a career long for the sophomore. And so you have a bright spot there. Um, Calvin Turner Jr. not getting any returns, uh, whether it be punt or kick returns, is definitely a disappointment because you'd like to see number seven with the ball in his hands, an opportunity to try to change things there for UH. But uh, what, what jumped out to you about special teams uh, from this UCLA loss? Uh I think it was a lot of what you said, uh, procedural things that, you know, even in the multitude of special team coordinators I played for, special teams has always been something Hawaii's prided itself on, to have the field goal block, I mean, to have the punt block, excuse me, and break the record for the first time since 2008 is one thing, but the very first mistake that was essentially made by UH was also on the punt team. Uh, having the punter go back and kneel. Now, that's a totally natural reaction. It was a low snap. He had to go down and get it. But when he put his knee on the ground, he therefore made the play dead, gave UCLA the ball at their 15-yard line. Now, granted, that is a, a, a week one mistake. But at the same time, these are things that, that just should not be happening, that should not be allowed. Now, on the reverse end of that, Calvin Turner didn't get any kick returns. He didn't get any punt returns. He didn't get any you know major production pretty much the whole game so that doesn't give us an idea of how much of a weapon he may or may not be in that facet so I think that's still to be uh something 
that will be determined as the season goes along. But, you know, essentially to what I was saying about the offense, this is procedural things. This is something where the coach, the punter, the long snapper, they all got to be on sync. Uh, that punter and that long snapper, they have to have that community. You, you have to have that camaraderie. You have to be able to trust that the ball is going to get to you. The long snapper has to be able to trust that you'll catch the spiral, that the kick's going to get off. You know, these are all things that are essentially day one special team things. And to see them unfold in a game is very unfortunate. Um, but at the same time, 48-yard field goal being made. There were some good punts yesterday, including the punt that did get called back. Uh, that was an absolute rocket to uh, how UCLA returner Kyle Phillips. He actually had to run backwards to catch it, and then he got tackled, I want to say somewhere at the opposite 20-yard line. So the punt itself and the punt team, you know, they didn't give up any punt returns for touchdowns or anything like that. So it's not a, a uh, call to be up in arms or to get rid of the kicker or whatever. But um, similarly to what the offense has to do, there has to be, you know, some extra practice. There has to be some extra time where the long snapper and the punter can get their motion together. They can get their snaps together just so when it gets to midseason and it's a 10-point game, a 10 point game in Fresno State or a three-point game in New Mexico State, that penalty isn't the difference between winning and losing. Well, there, there, there was a lot to talk about in regards to what happened in that game. Again, a 44-10 loss to UCLA. And we want to now move to the Bose football final mailbox because there were some questions sent in. Uh, on Saturday, I put it out on uh, the Instagram stories. You can find me at, at Rob DeMello. Got a lot of responses. Uh, obviously, a lot of them were answered already here in our breakdown of this UH and UCLA game. But uh, if you want to send in questions in the future, when a game's over, find me on Twitter at Rob DeMello, K-H-O-N, Facebook at Rob DeMello, and also Instagram at Rob DeMello. If you have my phone number, text it to me. If you have a, a pigeon that can uh, deliver messages, why don't you send that to my <laughs> house as well? Where, however you want to get me the questions or comments, get it to me and I'll make sure that uh, I ask uh, whether it's RJ Hollis or Rich Miano or whoever else joins us here on Bo's football final. And the first one comes from a good friend of the show and, and a big supporter of the University of Hawaii, Fuchsia, who has this question. And, and so, RJ, you have to choose one, all right? And obviously, in true RJ fashion, I expect you to tell us why you're choosing that one. But she asked a simple question, overmatched or underprepared, which one do you choose? Oh, that was a great question. Um... I would have to say underprepared. I would have to say underprepared. The only reason is because a lot of the – I say UH made more self-inflicted mistakes than UCLA did damage. The The reason I would pick that they were underprepared more – like I said, nobody was walking into this game expecting a win, but I've left games where we've lost and fans have just been so proud of the team that they had fight that they had grit, that they had, you know, determination to even rough it out. And games that have actually been more decisive than that. I mean, I was a part of a team that lost 55-0 to zero in conference. So, you know, it's not to say that every game's expected to be a win. But at the end of the day, there are, and I believe I even said this last week on Bo's Football Final, there are actually losses in which a team can be proud that they went out and put their best foot forward. 
it just was not enough. I do not feel like this team even went and put its foot out. I, I feel like there was so much, you know, shooting themselves in the foot that, you know, you almost have no feet to stand on by the time the second half starts. So I, I think I'm definitely going to go with underprepared at this one. Were they outmatched? I mean, UCLA is talented. That's obvious. But this UH roster is also very talented. There's a lot of pieces there that did not get an opportunity to even show what they had. Aaron Cephas in the one catch he had caught it for 49 yards, which almost topped all of five of Calvin Turner's catches. So there were moments there where the team showed itself and what they could do. But those moments were so few and far in between, combined with all of the mistakes that they were making, I'm definitely going to have to go with uh, underprepared over outmatched. Yeah, and I think underprepared, I mean, when you hear underprepared, you want to initially and, and, and say automatically coaching and coaching prepares you. But, you know, there's so many different levels of underprepared. It could be underprepared right. for how good UCLA was. It could be underprepared for how big the moment was. It could be underprepared to so many different things. I mean, it could fall on players of age. Definitely. They were put in the best position possible, possibly, and they were underprepared to be able to complete that task. And so it doesn't fall on on one category in regards to underprepared, I think is what you're trying to say. And, and so, um, but I think that's a, that's a fair question. And I think it's a fair answer in regards to between those two things, what happened. All right, we're going to move on to the next question here on the Bose football final mailbox. And this comes from T boogie. And he asked, what is your single biggest concern about this university of Hawaii football team following the loss to UCLA? Hey, I gotta be honest. I gotta. I'm on. We in the brick house, man. We can't tell no stories, and you know, this this my guy. So I hate to to, you know, be as brutally honest as I'm about to be. But honestly, my biggest concern was the trench play on essentially both sides of the ball, more so the offensive side of the ball. Um, you win and lose games on the line, you know. And when you have blitzes coming down, when you have stunts and fronts coming down, and we have our quarterback running as soon as he gets the ball in his hands from a snap because protection's not there. When you have a game where there's 26 yards in total rushing, I mean, at that point, you're just kind of looking at not necessarily lack of skill, but in my honest opinion, more so lack of will. There's talent on both sides of these lines. There's there's talent loaded on both sides of these lines, but when you have 244 yards of total rushing given up defense, when you have only 26 yards of offensive uh, rushing production on the ground offense, then that just tells me that at the line of scrimmage, there's a lot of battles that we are not winning. And in order for you to win a game, in order for you to even be in competitive in a game, you're definitely going to have to get better trench play. So, at the end of the day, is that my only concern? Of course not. But as far as what I believe will help this team change the fastest, will help production uh, increase the most, it would have to be uh, up production from both sides of the ball. Now, you had guys like Jonah Laulu who obviously balled, but at the same time, when you're talking about the line, that's a group. That's a group. That they're – that's a group that's essentially one person. You know, the offensive line, if one of them gives up a sack and the other four block great, 
you still all gave up a sack. If three of you fill your gap and one guy on defense gives up his gap for a 60-yard run, you all just gave up that 60-yard run. So uh, the trenches is definitely something that I would love to see uh, an improvement in. Um, that's probably right now my biggest concern, uh, as, as well as some schemes and other stuff like that. But for the most part, I definitely have to say, you know, uh, the, the lines on both sides of the ball, they got to find a way to win the trenches uh, in these next 12 games. All right, and the last question here in the Bose Football Final Mailbox, Chris asked a question about the offense and first-year offensive coordinator Bo Graham saying, and it's, it's interesting the way this is put, was was Bo Graham getting too cute with his play calling with the screenplays early or not cute enough by not getting Calvin Turner the ball enough? So when you look at maybe what didn't go right in, in regards to schematics, do you think that possibly the University of Hawaii tried too hard to, to create opportunities against a UCLA team knowing that, that they were bigger, faster, and stronger? Um, or, you know, like it, like it was mentioned, not cute enough by not doing enough to get Calvin Turner the football, whether it's on jet sweeps or whether it's putting him back in the, in the backfield, which we've seen before. Uh, he did have eight targets as a receiver, but did you just need to get Calvin Turner the football in this game? I believe so. Um, like we discussed earlier, when the offense came out, there was a lot of things that are going wrong. Um, defensive linemen blocking passes, quick three and outs, uh, just all sorts of issues, the early interception. And when things like this happen as an offense, you kind of have to go back to what you know. You know, you have to go to the simple plays. You have to put your – trust in your playmakers and be able to give them the ball and let that happen for Calvin Turner, not to get a fly sweep for Calvin Turner, not to get any sort of um, direct give. And what I mean by direct give is it's going to go straight from the quarterback to him. Now, whether it's fly sweep end around uh, downhill as a running back, a pitch, a toss, whatever it is, I felt like there definitely should have been more of an attempt to get Calvin Turner the ball um, I also felt like a lot of their, you know, as he put cuteness was kind of just that. I feel like there was a lot of plays where you're trying to get, you know, a five yard bubble route or you're trying to get a short check down that maybe turns into more. When as the game started to go on, we saw it was the deep passes that were actually making some sort of stride for UH. The deep pass to Aaron Cephas, uh, the deep pass to Dior Scott the couple of passes that went to Nick Martiner, you know, these were things that once you've seen they were in attack mode, well, they can make it happen. So I think they definitely should have been more in attack mode. Um, you know, not cute. I really don't like that word. <laughs> is another word besides cute, but uh, I, I think well, which they is funny because you hear it so often, right? I mean, I'm sure, right? <laughs> yeah, you try to be cute. You're trying to be, you know, but I think uh, they should have definitely been more in attack mode. When things start going south like that, you got to find a way to get your ballers the ball. Like I said, in my reference to my, my big football uncle, Uncle Mo, you got to get his attention or you can't, you can't win the game. If Uncle Mo's not on your side, nine times out of ten, you're not going to win a game. So if I'm the UH offense and I'm seeing all of these drives go south and I'm seeing all of these mistakes and all of these mental errors, then I would have figured out some way, any way, to get my best player, Calvin Turner, the ball. I think they definitely should have went 
to him a lot more. They definitely should have found a way to give him the ball a lot more, especially since he wasn't getting it for kickoff returns or punt returns. So he was fresh and he was ready. Uh, I think they should have went after him more. But at the end of the day, they still got 12 more games to get it. So, you know, if it does return to this situation where the offense is stalling out, where they are facing a defense, they just can't get their traditional plays on. I think they should get them a set of plays that will just get the ball to Calvin or get the ball to anybody else they determine is just an automatic playmaker. Well, as you mentioned, 12 games remaining here in this 2021 season, and game number two is at home. Portland State taking on the Vikings of the FCS, and when you look at what this game also brings is is history because it will be the first ever on-campus game in the history of the University of Hawaii football program, which will be very special. You and I will be lucky enough to be on the Spectrum Sports broadcast team for that on pay-per-view with Kanoa Lehi and Rich Miano handling play-by-play and color duties respectively. Kavika Hallams will be joining us as well as Scott Robbs on the sideline. And so obviously it's one of those situations where this is a game that all the focus is on Hawaii. It's not going to, there's not going to be a lot of talk about the Portland state uh, scouting report or their depth chart. And that's no disrespect to Portland State. This is just what it is, is that this is the University of Hawaii, an FBS program, playing an FCS program. So all eyes are on UH. And what can you do, especially after coming off of a 44 to 10 loss to UCLA at the Rose Bowl? And so just real quickly, this game, what do you need to see out of this Hawaii football team when they face Portland State, when those numbers or those zeros hit on the scoreboard and this game is over the second game for the university of Hawaii. What is it that you had to see to make you feel okay about this rainbow warrior football season? I want to see at the end of the game. I want to see exhausted bodies on the sideline. What I mean by that is there should be so much momentum, so much juice, so much want for this team to come out and prove itself that everybody should have been played. And if they didn't play, they should be screaming and cheering on their guys. Now, I know uh, it seems very cliche to think that energy and enthusiasm is just going to fix everything. But at the same time, being out there on that field and, and watching the game that I just watched last week, this is a team that, make no mistake about it, still has weapons. This is a team that still has a quarterback that they can get behind and can make them competitive in the Mountain West Conference. However, that is not going to work if there is not a full-fledged environment of belief and of confidence. And when your locker room is fired up, it spreads all the way through the coaches. Like, everybody is fired up. Everybody's excited. Everybody's on the same page. And I feel like yesterday or Saturday, excuse me, what you were watching was essentially 74 individuals and a couple of coaches trying to, to piece together a football game. What I need to see Saturday is a community, is a unit, is a squad, a, a, a just gang of warriors and scoundrels that are out to prove we are nothing like what we showed last week. And if you think that way, you're going to be sadly mistaken. Yes, it's an FCS school, but at the end of the day, expectations are expectations and this team cannot expect itself to compete for a championship cannot expect itself to be an eight to ten win team if you can't take care of the SCS FCS team at home so 
compounded with what they want to do for the rest of the season, followed with the performance they had last week. By the end of the Portland State game, we should see exhausted bodies with smiles on everybody's face because they came out with energy, they executed, and they left it all on the field, and they're getting themselves ready for Oregon State to follow and then for conference to follow that. And obviously, uh, you know, there will be a cloud over the game, you could say, uh, for the fans because they will not be able to be in attendance at Clarence T.C. Ching Field in what will be the first game held there in in, uh, this era of of finding and making a home while the Aloha Stadium figures out what's going on there and whether or not that new stadium would be built. But no matter what way you slice it, this is the home field for the University of Hawaii. And so although we will be able to be there, and again, we're so grateful to be able to do that uh, as broadcasters for Spectrum Sports and be able to, to bring the action to the people at home, um, but do you think it's something that needs to be talked about? Because, you know, they've been through this before where there's no fans in attendance. They went through it last year, not only at Aloha Stadium, but at some of the traveling places that they went to as well. And so you knew that you had to find the juice. You knew that you had to do more than just be a football player. You had to bring energy on the sidelines for these games. But when you go into it for a second season and you go into it as the only team on your schedule that has to experience that on their home venue, how much conversation needs to be made that like, Hey, you can't let this be a negative. You can't go into this and be upset that there's no one in the crowd. You have to be able to turn it on as if this wasn't an issue at all. And as if you had no choice and this is just the world that we're living in today. Uh, Is this something that whether it's the coaches, whether it's the team that needs to get on the same page as they hit the field on Saturday? It's something that needs to be discussed, but I think uh, last week's game was a blessing in disguise, being that, you know, these guys aren't um, these guys aren't oblivious to the game they just put on. They have to watch the film. I'm pretty sure they're actually watching the film right now and uh, going over their honest grades for it. And just off the game alone that you played last week, I think the fans should almost be, you know, secondary. Now, if this was a good game that you put on or you actually won, then maybe it's more focusing on not letting the fans distract you. But I do feel like after the game that they just had at UCLA, they're going to be a lot more focused on just putting out a good game. Fans aside, they have to perform better than they did last week. So is it something that should be discussed? I think only for a short amount of time because I honestly feel like for – the first two or three days, they're just going to be focused on making sure everything runs correct. You know, after having a game like they had, you have to bounce back. You're coming home. You're playing an FCS team. You want to be competitive in the Mount West, so you have to bounce back. I feel like come San Jose State, if there still isn't fans, then the coaches may have to figure out a way to get more enthusiasm in the games, pull out more enthusiasm naturally, or figure out a way for the players to get pumped. But I think with the bruising loss that they had at UCLA, I don't think the fans should be as much of a focus as, hey, fans or not, we need to perform better than we did last week. So I think the biggest concern will be on the performance. I think that's what the coaches are going to do anyway. So for this week in specific, I don't think 
that there will be too much discussion over whether or not fans are going to be there because UH knows they have to come out and perform fans or not. So I think in the weeks going forward, the focus on fans getting in there will be a lot more intense, especially when you get into Mountain West play. But I think for this one, you know, just call it an extension of last year. Uh, we played without fans last year. We won games without fans last year. And at the end of the day, that is what it's about. It's about winning football games. So, you know, after you had a performance like you did against UCLA at the Rose Bowl, I do feel like a lot of these players and a lot of these coaches are going to be a lot more focused on winning than on fan participation for this particular game. Yep, I feel you 100%. A lot of people want to see an improved football team as the Rainbow Warriors take on Portland State. They also hope that eventually down the road, they can get into Clarence T.C. Ching Field and be able to cheer on this University of Hawaii football team. With that being said, on the heels of Sunday, the Hawaii Department of Health reporting the state's highest single day increase in new COVID cases of 1,678. I will say this, and this is not a political statement. This isn't anything else. This is just... Don't be stupid, people. Let's get this thing under control. Be a good citizen. Be a good community member and help take care of those around you so we can get to University of Hawaii sporting events and, and be able to experience so many other things that what we would call normal uh, in, in years past. But Mahalo, everybody, for joining us here on Bo's Football Final. Again, the University of Hawaii football team returns to action this Saturday against Portland State at Clarence T.C. Ching Field, the historic game. You'll be able to catch it on Spectrum Sports. Kickoff is at 6 o'clock, but we will begin our pregame coverage at 5.15. Again, if you ever want to reach out to Bo's Football Final, you can find me on social media at Rob DeMello, K-H-O-N, Instagram and Facebook at Rob DeMello. You can reach out to R.J. Hollis at rj hollis but rj how do you spell that it's not the r and the j uh give us your handle uh, it's a-r-e-j-a-y make it there official like holy this guy he's too slick man he's too slick <laughs> hey rj hollis thanks a lot for joining us this morning here on bo's football final we'll catch everyone next week here from the brick house on khon2.com and everywhere you download podcasts have a great week everybody aloha